This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! And it's down the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, The Game. Hey, everybody. Back at it another week. Scoop Duck in Hi-Fi. My name is Matt Bagley, and I'm joined by my friend Justin Hopkins from Scoop Duck. Let's start off with a fun question this week, my friend. Uh, Tom Brady wins his seventh Super Bowl in 20 years. Now, I've said it this way on my show. I don't like him, but I respect him. I don't think any player in, in, in any level of football is that accomplished. So my question for you, Tom Brady is the Tom Brady of winning championships. What are you the Tom Brady of in your life? <laughs> I don't uh, drink and beer, I suppose. <laughs> That's, uh, and I'm, I'm, I, uh, I'm definitely not Tom Brady at it yet. Maybe I'm Patrick Mahomes still, but but working on my whiskey collection and my, my whiskey repertoire. So I suppose that's uh, uh, next. Otherwise, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I've got any other Tom Brady, Tom Brady like skills. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I, I don't think you have to like the guy at all to respect what he's done. And I, you know, to me, you know, there's no doubt he's been on some dominant, amazing Patriots teams, but this is like, I mean, I would think if it's him, this has got to be that one. This has got to be the one where, you know, everybody's got to look at you and be like, damn, you know, you're not with the Patriots. It's not Bill Belichick. You went to what was a, you know, middle of the road team, average team last year. And, and you know, one year later, took them all the way to a Super Bowl championship. Um, pr- pretty damn remarkable, really. I mean, even for all the LeBron lovers out there, you know, he usually uh, isn't taking teams to the championship the next year that he signs up. But, uh you know, again, to do it in football, the way Tom Brady's done it, 43 years old, uh, you got to tip your cap to the man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love that you said you're the Tom Brady of drinking beer because I, I kind of knew you were going to say that. I was thinking about it as I came up with the question. I'm like, if I know Justin, he's going to talk about his beer. <laughs> what, what are you most proud of? Because your, your beer collection, for people who don't know, is substantial. What are you most proud of there? Uh, you know, I, I think, um, you know, for me, I think it's, it's, uh, you know, what makes me proud or what I enjoy is people can, can, uh, you know, comment about most beers, you know, from different places or, you know, and, and maybe I haven't tried that particular beer, but I've more than likely heard of, of that brewery. Um, and then to kind of be able to just, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, for people that don't know the craft beer. And, and so I need to be specific. I'm talking about the craft beer uh, community right. is you're an Oregonian. It, so you're speaking right. from that perspective. Yeah. I mean, you know, the guy that drinks Coors Light and Bush, you know, he's not in the craft beer community. That's totally fine. He doesn't have to be, he enjoys his beer, the craft beer community. Uh, not only the people that are, are, are making the beer and producing the beer, they're very tight knit. They share secrets. It's not like, you know, Hey, we're, you know, you can't see, we're not going to pull back the curtain for you. They're pretty open. And that's why you see a lot of collaborations and a lot of great things uh, come together. 
but I, I, I mean, for the people as well, the people that are just simply enjoying it, it's a very open community. It's, it's, Hey man, you got to try this. Uh, you know, I guess obviously pre pandemic, you know, you'd be standing there, my buddy, dude, you got to try this beer and hand you his beer, you know, and you, you know, you take a sip and, and just so you can enjoy And I, I don't know. I just, I kind of enjoy that camaraderie and that, that aspect of it, just that it kind of brings people together. So, you know, I guess for me, what makes me proud is that when I'm able to go somewhere, you know, and it, it might not even be a normal place. It just might be somewhere new tailgate, whatever, you know, I can relate to that person more than likely like, yeah, I've had their beer before, or I've had that beer before, or I really enjoy that brewery, you know, and, uh, I don't know about you, but I know like for us as a family or when it's just Kim and I, one of the things that like we kind of pride ourselves on and really dig deep into is, you know, we go somewhere, it's like, okay, who's the local brewers here? Let's, right. let's go try out their food. Let's go try out their beer because they don't bottle and can and distribute everything. Mm -hmm. You know, they do their main three or four or five. You go to the brewery and it's like, we got 12 beers. You've never tried these three or four. We've never sent them out of the, out of the building, you know, that, and, and to be able to come home and, and I love that many of them have upped the food game along with it. You go to Portland, you go to San Francisco, uh, you know, you go to Astoria, you go to Bend and it's not just great beer. It's great food. And, and, uh, I don't know. That's something I pride myself on just the, the sheer number of breweries that I've visited and can speak about. And, you know, whether I'm going to, you know, Dallas or, or Nashville, uh, you know, the, everybody knows that I go to Loretto, Mexico, uh, you know, try and go once a year. There's only one brewery there, but guess what? I've been there, you know? <laughs> so uh, it, it's just, kind of, I don't know. I, I pride myself on that. And, and I, I, th I think it's fun. And I, like I said, I just enjoy the camaraderie aspect of it. Not like, hey, I've tried all these beers. I'm the master. It's like, dude, you know, that's a great beer. I'm glad you've tried it. You know, thanks for sharing it with me. I, I love that, that you brought up the travel aspect because I'm not as much of a, of a diehard as you are. Like, like, I definitely drink, but I don't drink beer as much as I used to. Um, but I love traveling through Oregon. And, and my fiance goes with me because I have a lot of work trips in a normal year. When, when we don't have COVID, I'm traveling all up and down the state covering high school football and, and high school hoops and that part of my job. And I'm with you, man. If, if I have a couple hours to kill, I don't, I don't go crazy because I'll, I'll usually right. have work to do. But if I got right. a couple hours to kill in Eugene, I know exactly where I'm going. Or in Astoria or, or Seaside, I know exactly where I'm going. Ashland, Klamath Falls, Bend. I'm hitting up a brewery every time. And, yeah. and I, I know where to get lunch because <clears throat> some of these places, like you said, you know, it's not just great beer. I think about how um, Caldera in Ashland has a wood fire pizza oven and incredible pizza or, uh, or my favorite place on the planet, Klamath Basin Brewing in Klamath Falls in my college town. They have a, a plate of fish and chips with these thin garlic fries that are to die for. And, uh, and you get a glass of, of a heft that they don't even bottle. Um, it's just absolutely perfect to me. I, I miss that aspect of it. Like, like you said, the social aspect, you get to share a drink with somebody and, and learn about them, talk to them, but you also just get to travel and explore. Well, I, you know, I think that's one, one thing you kind of just raised my attention to is, you know, we're, we're social creatures, right. You know, and, and we're going through a pandemic and, 
and it's just going to be those simple things that, you know, we're, we're almost a year into it now. It's kind of like, man, you know, you just miss making that stop popping in there, yeah. you know, may, maybe you only have an hour and you, you get the small pint instead of the full pint, but you, you know, sit next to some guy and you're watching the game and, you know, people open up over a beer. They just, you know, <laughs> it's like their therapy, you know, they sit in there and they, you know, kind of tell you a little bit about themselves and, you know, where they're from or what they're doing. And, and, uh, you know, there's just, there's just something to that. And I know that people experience that in other ways. It doesn't just have to be beer, but I mean, let's face it, living in the state of Oregon, like we do, uh, we're basically in beer heaven. And I know that it's a hot topic for a lot of people. So, um, but I'm, I'm definitely adding to my whiskey repertoire too. And it's, it's becoming apparent to me that there's a, you know, uh, another, you know, hidden type of group there that, um, is pretty tight, tight knit and, you know, Hey, this bottle just came out today. You got to go get it because they'll be out, you know, at the end of the day. And, you know, I, I I won't say that I'm a big fan of, of OLCC in general, but one of the great, one of the only positives that I can really think of is the fact that our liquor prices are controlled. So if you're able to get in there, you're able to buy some of these bottles that are really only 40 or $50. Uh, But, you know, if you're in a state where it's not controlled, you know, they'll charge two or $250 just because they can get it. So, you know, that, that that's becoming kind of a, a fun little niche to get into as well. And it's a, again, another community of people that's, you know, trying to share and Hey dude, they, you know, they just got Weller and you got to get down there and get it. They've only got six bottles. It'll be gone today. So, um, yeah, I, I suppose if anybody's tuning in for the first time, just so you know, we are an Oregon <laughs> podcast, but, <laughs> but this is what we do sometimes. We just kind of go down these roads and have a good time and, I don't know, hopefully help you forget about your day for 45 minutes to an hour. Well, I liked that Brady question to open you up. It it worked on a guest on my show yesterday, so I figured I'd roll with it. Uh, Hypothetical, you're in a bar, it's not a pandemic, it's a normal world, normal year, and you can kind of kick your feet back and relax, and you're talking to the person next to you, and they ask you, what's the deal with Oregon? No defensive backs coach, uh, a bunch of of hires in the recruiting department that the casual fan might not know. What do you tell them? Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, this is the, there's only about, so this is the, I guess, long, long answer here, which I'm really good at, apparently, is this is just about, so we had signing day last Wednesday, right? You you and I recorded on Thursday so we could, uh, you know, encapsulate all that and Uh get it all documented well so we could go today you had signing day which which means that right now basically everybody moves on to that next class and, and starts there now you can't take visits you can't go visit them at their high schools it's simply just phone calls and and, and emails and texts and, and all that stuff but uh additionally you you get that real quiet month where basically your football programs and in, in oregon included they they have all started doing their spring ball in March now. So basically everybody gets done with signing day. Uh, Oregon's football staff basically left the office Wednesday and didn't have to return back till Monday. Uh, you know, they had, I don't know, you want to call that a half week off or whatever. They had a little time off, you know, you come back and you're not putting the hammer down, but you're starting, Hey, okay. There's two things we got to do here, guys. We've got to prepare for spring football, which will start in three or four weeks. And we've got to, you know, work on our, our big recruiting boards for this upcoming class. Now, they've done a lot of that already, the recruiting stuff. But, you know, you're going to kind of hone that in a little bit. But, yeah, 
you know, Oregon needs a defensive back coach right now. That's been real slow. Uh, and Mario Cristobal has traditionally been really slow with his hires, but I, I think he's facing some unique challenges with this one that he really hasn't faced before. I just don't know that, you know, he he's, he's been able to go out and vet, you know, 10 to 20 guys uh, in the last couple hires. Tim DeRuiter was obviously the last hire before this. And, you know, I think when he's done that, he's come back with three or four or five guys that he's felt pretty good about. And then it's a matter of, okay, you know, where does this guy check the boxes off? Where doesn't he? How does he fit with my guys? Let's talk a little football with him. You know, you kind of get to the nitty gritty. I don't think he's been able to get that list of three to five guys. I'm not even sure if he's been able to get two or three Mm. just because they're just – I. You know, nobody's really strongly presented themselves as the guy, in my opinion. And and I think he's took a couple of swings at some bigger names that were long shots to begin with. They were long shots from from the get go. You know, Corey Raymond at LSU being one of them. And, you know, just that hasn't come around. So um, I still think that we're, you know, a week or two away from this thing kind of winding down a little bit, unless there's some information that I'm not privy to. Um, The other thing that's kind of come into play here in the last week is the fact that Alabama's also now in the defensive back coaching market. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's, I mean, I, you know, you could love Oregon to the moon, but it's pretty clear that, you know, Nick Saban's going to get first dibs on, on anybody that's available. Um, And the other thing that I've talked about, and you'll, you'll, I think you'll appreciate this and have a little bit to expand on it as well is there is definitely a major movement of college football coaches going to the NFL. Uh, this last year, yeah. more than any year, I can recall coaches are, 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 are you're going to call it moving laterally simply for the fact that he might be a position coach and he takes the same position job in the NFL. But there's been a lot more coaches than normal moving laterally into the NFL uh, than normal. And I think a lot of that has to do with you know, a lot of recruiting and how, how intense recruiting has become, how it's a year round thing. Uh, the expectations that are not only along from, from coaching, uh, but from recruiting as well. Uh, and not to mention all of the rules that they have to abide by within the NCAA or else face potential career suicide. So, um, you know, I don't know what, I don't know what you've seen from that angle, but I know personally, I've seen a lot of really, good coaches just basically taking that jump into the NFL where normally they'd work their way up the ladder in college. You know, you'd have a position coach that moves to a coordinator, potentially a head coach or into the NFL from there as a position coach or coordinator. And, uh, you know, I mean, shoot, we're seeing college. I mean, we've seen a movement of college football coaches and getting NFL head coaching jobs. And that's a big jump. You know, Matt rule being the latest, you know, Bill O'Brien was met with a mixed bag there at Houston, of course, um, but you're again, to my point, you're looking for a defensive back coach right now. And, you know, a couple of the guys that I think would have been on your short list jumped for the NFL in, within the last year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I think that's making that pool really hard for Mario Cristobal to pull from. Yeah. Th- there's a couple things that stand out to me there. Um, historically, I think the NFL has had an issue where it, it can be, uh, a little bit of a musical chairs game where the chairs don't change. 
you, you see a guy gets fired as a coordinator of one team and he gets hired as a coordinator of another, or a coach gets fired and gets rehired, uh, a position coach gets fired, rehired, or, or moves somewhere. Uh, Greg Knapp, for whatever reason, is always the name that comes to my head. Uh, offensive coordinator for like 10 different teams in the NFL and now uh, now a quarterback's coach for it feels like everybody in the league at least once. Um, and And... What I've seen in the last couple of years with the NFL, um, Joe Brady being a great example of this, but also look at the jump that, that Cliff Kingsbury made as a coach. I think you're seeing NFL teams less hesitant to hire from the college ranks. And, and what happens is, I think, when a really smart young offensive mind goes into the league, the next response, the next answer is NFL teams seeking out the next smart young defensive mind and because uh, they don't really have an answer for what's being done in college football right now. Um, what, what you're seeing is I think all of these defensive coaches in college with these really complex schemes to shut down high-octane passing offenses, getting that NFL opportunity, and like you said – there's some external pressures. There is the, the drain that can be recruiting. If you don't like it, if you don't love it, it can be really exhausting. And, and the stress of working for a college head coach, which, you know, they've got all the pressure in the world from the boosters and the fine bomb fans out there. You, you, you have pressures in the NFL, but it's a different set of pressures. I think these coaches are saying, my goal was always to move up the ladder anyway. Let's go to the NFL sooner rather than later, and let's see what I can do. Yeah, no, and, and you're right. And I think one of the things that makes it most difficult, and, and to your point, to kind of back up what you're saying, the the next rising star, the next it guy, the next, you know what I mean? He's not, instead of just moving up the ladder in college, he's kind of saying, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and go up to the NFL, mm -hmm. and they're willing to take him. You know, they're they're a lot more willing now, like you said, to take a risk on a college guy than maybe they were a decade ago. And I, I think that's what's really made this particular hire difficult for Mario Cristobal is, uh, you know, possibly it could be because of the time. You know, here we are looking for a coach in, in February versus, like, say, late November or December or even June or early January. Um, I, I think there's a, there's a lot more movement at those times. Um, for the most part, I think most of your coaching staffs have, have in college have been built out. Most of those guys have made the moves they're going to make. They're ready to ride it out. You're kind of late to the party. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, it's for a position coach. I mean, it's not for a coordinator. It's not for a head coach, you know, so you can survive there. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think the timing and I think the, the fact that a lot of these up and coming guys, I mean, a perfect example, I think a guy like Gerald Alexander, you know, was probably Mario Cristobal's first call, just left Cal. Uh, for the Miami Dolphins is coaching uh, secondary there with the Miami Dolphins. There's no doubt that that was the first call, you know, or, or one of the first calls from Mario Cristobal. But, uh, you know, what I've posted on the site and I continue to believe is, is he really doesn't have a strong interest in returning to college, not just, you know, not anything at Mario Cristobal, just he, he's kind of intent on staying in the NFL. So again, you're seeing these younger guys that are, that are up and comers that, you know, you want to hire that Mario Cristobal has been hiring and kind of suddenly they're just not there uh, like they were. So this could be an anomaly. It could be making a big deal over nothing, 
but I don't believe that's the case. I do believe that this is a bit of a shift. And I think we're seeing, you know, something that could potentially be a problem, not just for Oregon and Mario Cristobal, but for other programs around the country. You're going to now probably see some of these either a high school coaches that are at like a big time school at a saguaro or a modern day or whatever, you know, those coaches might now be the next guy that you bring up into the college ranks, or it could be the lower, you know, D2, D3 programs. And, you know, you got a, a hot young head coach or, or coordinator or something, you know, the next jump for them is coming into the, you know, to the major division one college ranks, whether a position coach or coordinator, uh, you know, so I, I, I think that might be a bit of the, of the shift we're going to start to see. And I, I think that's something that's very plausible here. I think that's something that Oregon fans need to expect is that Mario Cristobal is probably vetting out some of these, <coughs> excuse me, D2, D3, uh, you know, maybe even community college kind of guys and saying, Hey, look, I'm going to have to get, you know, somebody down here and, and, and hope that I nail it. And he's been good so far, but there is definitely a, a risk to that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other takeaway from, from this part of the pod, you mentioned all of the names and a fairly rigorous process of interviews that Mario Cristobal has gone through to try to find uh, th- this position uh, in, in the coaching staff. I'm curious, you mentioned those possibilities, maybe you grab a really good high school coach or, or a small college coach or somebody that just had some bad luck in a previous job and they're looking for work right now. Is there a direction that you think Mario Cristobal is inclined to take? You know, I, I, I think, uh, I I mean, would he, would he always rather a proven guy than a, you know, than an unproven guy? Sure. I mean, I think that's obviously the, the the top goal anytime you're, you're doing this, but if that guy's not there, you know, you got to start to weigh those options. You got to start. And I think that's what makes this process a little harder. If you start evaluating more of the unproven guys, you've got more work to do. You know, you've got more digging to do. You've got to interview view these guys uh, a couple times, maybe rather than one time. Uh, you know, instead of being able to call around and talk to guys that you've coached with, you know, potentially Nick Saban or, or, or somebody that you've worked with in the, in the past, if you're Mario Pistol, you don't really have that knowledge to lean on or, 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 you know, that expertise, uh, you know, to kind of be confident there. So I, I think that, you know, if, and I do believe this, I do believe Mario Cristobal is probably looking a little bit farther down than he would normally look for a hire, but I, I think that's what has to be done. And I think that requires more time. I think you have to be more diligent when you're not getting the, the, the quote unquote proven guy. Um, you know, at least at the level you're at. And um, I think I think that's kind of where we're at in this process. Okay. All right. Uh, but but on the heels of that, it's clear he's doing some hiring because he just basically overhauled his recruiting and personnel staff. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had a question about that. Uh, somebody commented on the site. Um, let, me pull, let me pull that up so I give them the credit for it because I really like this. Uh, D-Dub PDX. I, I had almost the same topic for you. Are, are these hires that were made guys that were pursued by other schools or, or do you think this is just a chain of internal promotions pretty much? Um, well, you know, for instance, you know, one of them, Tony Washington, who was a former defensive lineman for Oregon, not all that long ago, 
you know, made a jump into the into the coaching ranks and was a I believe he was an analyst, if you will, at at Nebraska. He's going to come over to Oregon and work in that department. So there, that that's new blood. That's a guy that's not a promotion. That's you know that's a hiring made outside the circle. Um, you know, Oregon uh, did also promote a couple of guys. Sam Popper is one that you know that I would like to talk about because I, I you know I had heard uh, you know about Pop uh, in the last month to six weeks, you know, obviously Thomas Arends and Cooper Patanga decided not to come back to Oregon for two different reasons. And, you know, there were people telling me that, Hey, look, Sam Poplar has been here. Uh, this is the guy we got to keep him. Hopefully Mario promotes him. So I, I think as far as the promotions go, and, and I guess you could include Don Johnson in what I'm saying, although he was promoted a little bit longer back, not as recently, um, you know, those, those were the guys that he valued and, and, and let's be real. If, you know, something you and I talked about just for a moment, you know, prior to recording is, you know, let's be real five years ago, nobody would have had a clue about any of these hires. It would have never, I don't even think a story would have been written. It would have just been done and they would, would have been added to the, the coaching, you know, staff directory. And that's all that, but with the, and I believe with the emphasis that Mario Cristobal has placed on recruiting as the head coach at Oregon, people are more aware of it. Now they're paying better attention to it. Those guys are also being, you know, more highly sought after. I mean, if you're looking to make a hire at your own program, uh, USC, Washington, wherever you're going to go ahead and look at the guy in your conference is doing really well. And what's going to happen is you're going to pull those guys away and then you're going to start you know, interrogating them on <laughs> what were they doing up there? You know, what, what was working? How do, how do we get better? You know, give us the, give us the secret sauce. And uh, so I think this has kind of become the nature of the beast for Oregon tomorrow. Cristobal. if you're going to recruit at this level, I think you're going to more commonly experience this type of turnover in the recruiting uh, and staff personnel departments. Now that said, they could lose every single person every single year which is not ideal, but you could lose every person every single year and you're not going to see any drop off in recruiting. In my opinion, those guys are valuable. They should be probably paid more than they're making. I'm not trying to discredit what they do, but let's face it. Mario Cristobal is the, is the absolute engine of this machine that is recruiting. He can hire and fire anybody he wants and, you know, Oregon's not going to drop from the number six class to the number 20 class because the, you know, uh, director of player personnel is no longer there. That's not realistic. Those guys are there as a support staff. If they're doing a good job, they're going to stick around. If they're doing a good job, they're going to get promoted. If they're not cutting their weight, you know, Mario Cristobal is going to move on. And, uh, but again, uh, those are just the support guys. Those are there to make sure that the visits go well, that you're getting transcripts on these guys, that you have the information about their parents that might help you in recruiting, you know, all of those kind of auxiliary things that you really don't want your head coach spending time to do. But, um, you know, I won't mince my words up. I mean, Mario Cristobal will keep Oregon recruiting at a high level, regardless of who's in there. Although some of these hires really look pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I, I think that this is something you have to expect year in, year out when you win Pac-12 championship games. You, you, you still have that dead weight of the Pac-12 conference, so Oregon's prestige could be higher than it is, but it's awfully high, and, and I think you're going to see um, the uh, the consequences of that. 
not only the good consequences where you're able to stack up incredible recruiting classes year in, year out, but the bad consequences, you're going to have to replace some coaches because they're going to be sought after. Um, recruiting assistants as well. Um, pretty much everybody, they want a piece of you. Um, let's let's mine a couple more questions here from the site, scoopduck.com. A bunch of your readers gave us some good stuff to ask this week. Um, Beauregard, and he got some follow-ups here, quote, need some snippets on some freshmen coming off redshirt. Uh, tell us about some of these redshirt guys that, that maybe slipped under the radar this year. You know, I don't – I guess I'll say this. I don't I – haven't, I haven't prepped at all. You're, you're winging these at me, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, and that's fine. No, that's great. So I don't want anybody to think that this was a, a rehearsed answer. Um, I, I don't know that there's anybody that necessarily slipped under the radar. I think what you're going to see more than anything is the fact that uh, because of the pandemic, because of the Pac-12 canceling the season, and because of the Pac-12 uh, sporadically deciding to reactivate the season, I think we saw a lot more injuries uh, than you would see in a normal year. There's always going to be injuries in football. But you're talking about a, a six-game shortened schedule, and we saw an astronomic amount of injuries. My point to that is injuries. Justin Flo obviously got injured, wasn't able to play. That's a guy that's going to freaking contribute next year. I mean, it's a no-brainer, right? I'm not, I'm not rewriting the history book here. But I'll keep going down the list. Trey Benson, another guy that got injured. Uh, there's only one football, and there's some really good running backs in Oregon, but I think that guy's going to get some play. I mean, you're just you're going to have a tough time keeping him off the field. Uh, Dante Manning, again, a five-star cornerback. Oregon's going to need cornerbacks in this upcoming season. Uh, you know, that's a guy that just couldn't get all the way healthy and couldn't get there. Um, and I realize most of these guys are, are true freshmen, not redshirt freshmen. But, uh, you know, as far as the redshirt freshmen go, uh, the ones that are immediately going to jump off the page to me uh, are going to be the offensive linemen. I believe Oregon had several of these guys that were, you know, Marcus Harper is one that comes to mind. Jalen Jeffers is another guy that comes to mind. You know, it was it was kind of hush-hush, but those guys were injured pretty much all year, weren't able to contribute. Uh, you know, I think you're going to see maybe not them starting per se, but I, I believe, and I'm pretty sure Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal will say as much, they did not have as many guys uh, that were healthy and able to contribute that they were able to rotate through this season. And I think next year, you know, Oregon will get back to that where you will see eight, nine, 10, maybe 11 guys rotating through the offensive line. You know, those are a couple of the ones that come to my mind instantly. Um, you know, tight end, you know, Spencer Webb didn't play uh, this year, obviously was nicked up. I realized that he's uh, not a true freshman. I see Spencer I think he's a red shirt freshman. I, I, you know what? The other part of this is that that year, it's really hard to know how you're qualifying, you know, for uh, uh, players anymore because they got that bonus year. So, well, you know, Spencer Webb's a guy that's probably going to be looking to bounce back. Uh, he got healthy towards like the last game or two of the year, but just, you know, couldn't quite get all the way out there. Um, yeah, I guess. So there's the, the long answer to that. And hopefully that at least appeases you a little bit with some of it. I'll be happy to go back through, and again, I'm not even cheating. I'm just going off memory. I'll be happy to go through the GoDucks.com roster and look at the, you know, the year of guys and kind of say, hey, look, this guy's prime, this guy's prime. But I think that gave you a pretty good overview off the cuff at least. How do you think they compare? Um, 
I like this question from Go Ducks two five nine eight. How are the early role early enrollees doing so far? How do you think they compare to some of the red shirt guys you mentioned? Yeah, I, I, that's the thing. Uh, <laughs> this is an incredible class, and I I don't I I I understand every year that Mario Cristobal and his coaches are optimistic about the guys that are coming in. You don't ever want them coming in and you'd be like, oh crap. You know, two weeks, three weeks into it, like, you know, we screwed up. We missed here. You know, if, if that's the case, if a guy comes in and he's not quite there, you're going to say, hey, look, he just needs more work, more time to develop. And I guess my point to that is <laughs> there's not many guys that they're saying that about right now. And uh, this class is incredible. I mean, I've had a number of, uh, of folks reach out to me and uh, like just the sheer um, amount of surprise the sheer amount of excitement over i mean because there was 14 i believe 15 guys that enrolled early so you're talking a big part of this class is already on campus and you know the wide receivers are absolute dudes the tight ends are absolute dudes the offensive linemen are dudes ty thompson is everything that we've all expected ty thompson to be at least to this point and i i understand i say this stuff and people are going to get excited and it's going to set up these expectations for hey, Ty Thompson's going to go out there and kick everybody's ass in the spring game. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying for a guy three weeks into the program, he looks really good, and they're really excited about it. And I'm saying, you know, Troy Franklin is the guy that they thought they were getting. You know, he looks like he's really good, looks like he can contribute. You still got to go up, get out there and earn it, and it's not going to be easy for him. You've got Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red and Micah Pittman and Devin Williams, guys that have already played college football snaps ahead of him. Now, that said, Everybody continues to tell me that this is the type of class, this is the, a national championship class. This is the type of class where you could bring this one in, and if you can bookend this class with some really good classes you know, in front of and in back of, you're starting to look at a national championship caliber roster. I think Oregon is trending that direction for us to sit here and say, okay, these guys are on campus three weeks later. It's a national championship class. That's not fair, but it is trending in the right direction. Everybody Again, super excited about these guys that have come in and and uh, the re, you know the defensive backs, the the safeties, you know uh, Jeff Bassa and Damon David, a different breed, kind of like when Jamal Hill showed up. It's like, whoa, this this guy doesn't move and run and bend and twist like the guys we normally see out west. This is a different breed. You know, you still got to play football, you still got to learn the playbook, you still got to do these other things, but just that level of sheer excitement. Uh, I, I don't know that I've ever heard it quite as much as I've heard it this year. This is definitely a really, really big class for Oregon. Uh, we got a ton of great questions this week, and, and I implore folks, keep them coming. Every time you, you, you bring up this opportunity on the site, we get a lot of great material. I'm going to share one last question, and then we'll move on to some other topics. Who user 37 asks, do we know when spring camp will begin, and if it will happen? And, and how off-season workouts are going so far. I just want to preface, I think that question is asked because, you know, it's still a, a, a pandemic and, and still kind of up in the air on that stuff. Yeah, you know, last year it got a little close, uh, you know, like as far as media goes, like, all right, hey, I know we're, we're getting close to this thing, right? When When's the day? And it, it's something I should probably uh, research a little better. But if I was just making a guess right now, and I know I'm going to, I bet you I'm close, uh, you know, within a few days or no worse than a week, I, I would say March 5th is probably the day you'll start to look at, you know, them starting up spring ball. And, uh, you know, and, and that is a Friday, March 5th is a Friday. 
Um, you know, and I bring that up because obviously when you're going to play the spring game, it's going to be on a Saturday. So you're going to, usually they're going to end up starting towards the end of the week. Um, you know, they might, it's a pandemic, they might switch things up, but usually, uh, you know, that spring game is, is going to be somewhere around April 24th. If I had to guess, I don't know that they've written the date down. They might have, um, Again, I'm just taking these questions as curveballs. I didn't read them. I didn't even read them. I posted the question, and then Matt and I hopped on. So uh, I, you're getting the, the answers off the cuff, and I don't mind doing that. But um, again, probably start around March 5th if I had to guess. And I'm gonna I'm gonna guess you'll see the the spring game uh, probably around April 24th. Um, I don't know if they've already posted the date for the spring game or not. So if they have, I apologize. But that's my best guess right now. All right. Um... And but to that point, you know that's March fifth. Here we are, February tenth. That's like two and a half weeks. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, bam, here it comes. You know, so uh, that's why I say we're kind of in that weird time, but it doesn't last very long. And normally, you and I would have, you know, basketball to talk about, and we do technically. But uh, and I know we're going to get into that, but it's just a little different uh, this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's jump in on that in a minute. We'll talk basketball. Um, Oregon ladies feels like a missed opportunity the other night. Oregon men, I, I feel a little bit better about them. Uh, we'll get your thoughts in a minute right here. And, and again, I implore everybody, keep those football questions coming because you know us. Our, our emphasis every week, I think what separates what we do from you know the, the, the 25 other podcasts out there now, didn't used to be 25 when we started, by the way, but... Uh, I think what separates us from everybody is we're just 110% football every week, all the time, no matter where it is in the year. And so, you know, we know you feel that way too. Keep those football questions coming. Uh, let's switch gears and talk some hoops. Okay, so before I hit record this week, you were joking with me that y- you, uh, you think Oregon has played its last college basketball game ever. <laughs> yeah, it kind of feels like it sometimes, doesn't it? I mean, uh, you know, I, I uh, it, and obviously that was a joke. I'm I, that's that's not run with that, but um, I I'll be honest. I'll be a hundred percent honest, and I probably wouldn't normally say this. I I know folks had a little bit more of a difficult time getting into football this year, not just Oregon football, college football, the NFL, all of it, because of the put, you know, there was some political stuff involved with, with football this year. There was, you know, the, the weirdness of the pandemic and games being canceled and postponed and just like several things going on with football. Now that said, people still watched a lot of football. There was still, you know, the ducks only played six games and, and, and of course, you know, a bowl game and everything, Yeah, uh, you know, uh, was it the same energy as a normal year? Probably not, but I would like just throwing a number on it. I'd say it was 80 to 85% you know, uh, interest. Um, I say that because I don't think it's the same for basketball. I think it's, you know, basketball, I love the sport. I play with my kids, total respect for Kelly Grace and Altman, absolute respect for both of them. I love watching the women play, uh, is a real treat, you know, watching Sabrina the last few years and, and Sabali and, and all that. I find personally myself, even doing this for a living, it's, Got, it's been really hard to get into basketball because of the, you know, shoot, you can cancel, you, you know, you're at, you're at the stadium, they're about to tip off in 30 minutes and they cancel the game. And, uh, 
and, and that's not just, you know, an exaggeration. That's reality. And, and I get it. And of course, player safety is first and foremost. And I, I don't dispute that. It's made it really hard to get into basketball. I don't know if you feel a little bit of the same way. Normally, you know, if, uh, if it's a Saturday and, you know, Duke's playing Kentucky or North Carolina's playing Duke or something, you know, I've probably got it on my TV because, uh, you know, it's a top 10 game usually. Uh, I can't even tell you who's in the top 10 right now. And uh, I feel bad saying that, but I, I, think, I think the women uh, and the men for basketball are, are probably suffering that. I think most fans, at least, let's just be honest with each other. I think they can identify with me saying, yeah, mm-hmm. I've had a tough time tracking, you know, basketball too. You're doing it because it's your break away from reality. It's, it's helping us pass the time. But, you know, I would say interest is probably like, you know, 50% of what it would normally be. Um, it's difficult. And uh, um, I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts on it are. That's mine as a whole. It's not just related to Oregon. I'm talking about the sport in general. Um, I don't typically watch the NBA, so there's not much difference there. I uh, love to watch me some Dame and the Blazers here and there, but I don't usually get that excited until the playoffs. And, uh, you know, again, I don't, you know what? We could spend the whole time talking about, football on this podcast and i'd be just fine i guess so that's that's me in a nutshell (laughs) i love basketball i love the movement of the ball i love the pace of the game i love watching the game when it's played the right way and and for that reason i've really enjoyed watching dana altman's teams at oregon especially the way they play defense and, yeah. and I've loved watching Kelly Graves' teams at Oregon, the way they attack with the basketball and the way they move without the basketball, five players in motion, unselfish, and then just have a, a killer, a ruthless, lethal shooter in Sabrina who could be unselfish for three and a half quarters and then strike like a cobra and knock you out. Um, I, I've loved watching them, and, and it's no knock on them. I love, on a Saturday or Sunday, especially come tournament time, you know, shoot that stuff in my veins, put it on my television, and let me watch it, and I want to watch it. Uh, but I'm with you. It's been really hard this year to invest time into it knowing that that there's not the same energy as there was in years past. I I think college basketball, and and I think the NBA is okay. I think the NBA can handle this. They proved it with the bubble. I think one of the main differences with the NBA and college basketball, in the NBA, the stars – fuel the energy so you mentioned dame and the blazers you watch for dame if dame's not playing you're not going to watch and i'm the same way right if lebron's not playing for the lakers or um or Giannis is taking a night off with the bucks or Kawhi's taking a night off with the clippers i'm probably not going to watch in college hoops the crowd brings that energy and and the arena brings that energy right like i want to see the, the fans at Matt Knight, and obviously before that, the pit. Um, I want to see, oh, Oregon is going to Seattle, and they're playing the Huskies. I want to see them shut down that crowd and how they handle that crowd. Or uh, or, or they're going to Poly Pavilion, or they're playing out in the desert and, and dealing with the Arizona schools like they are this week. I think not having crowds, and I'm totally for it. I, I'm for it. I, I'm for 
being as safe and as strict as possible in this pandemic because everybody has a grandma. Nobody wants to go to a funeral. I totally get it. But I, I think that it's made college basketball feel silly this year. Like there's just, there's something missing. Yeah. No, I, you, you know what? I think you, you did a better job of, of giving me my own thoughts than, than I, you know, I could come up with, because like you said, um, you know, the, the crowd, man, the, you know, the, the, the pit crew and just like that, that is like, you know what I mean? And, and you know, <laughs> Bill Walton and having them behind him right. and him, you know, right. doing stupid stuff. And uh, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just not there. And, and, you know, I mean, here we are again, the, uh, you know, the women's game on Friday, you know, has been canceled or postponed, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, they, they play on Monday now and, you know, we've had the men's basketball team that's played like two games in a month, you know, and that's just, it's really hard to track, you know, and, uh, I, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't know. I feel, I feel bad saying all this, but, ba- but basketball has not been able to, to, to survive college basketball. Like you said, college basketball has not been able to survive this as well as, as football was able to, and, and definitely not as well as the yeah. NBA, because that, you got to give credit to the NBA, whether you liked it or not, the bubble was actually pretty successful, really successful. And, uh, you know, I would, I would guess that, you know, more people watched the NBA, um, you know, this past season than, than probably have in a long time. I know that applies to me just because it was one of the only things that was on. It was consistently on, um, you know, and, and they did a good job with it. But, uh, but yeah, so the, I, you know, as far as basketball goes, another tough loss for the ladies. Uh, you know, obviously they're, they're needing to find a way to, to kind of grit out some of these wins and, and, uh, you know, it's not going get, to get any easier because your next opponent now is Stanford on Monday. Right. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, don't, I, I think this season is exactly probably what Kelly Graves expected, uh, you know, a, a learning curve, uh, you know, a chance for these girls to get experience, a chance to figure out. I think he's still tinkering with the rotation quite a bit. He's obviously trying to figure out who's the best five on the floor. You know what? You know, when I put these five out here who's going to be my score when I put these five out here, who's going to play defense and, and just trying to get that right and rotations, right. And, uh, you know, that will serve them well for next year. But if these games keep getting canceled, you're just taking opportunities away from them. And that, you know, that makes this job harder and harder for the upcoming season. Everybody's in the same boat, but that's just my take on the women. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, I don't know what you're seeing out there, but that's what I'm seeing. Yeah. It's not quite baseball where your teams need to play every day or nearly every other day so that they keep their, their chemistry and, and keep their timing right. But I definitely think there's something to it in hoops when a team takes two and a half weeks off out of their control like, like the Oregon ladies did. It wasn't like they were really given a rest period. It wasn't like they were able to prepare for that. It just happened out of the blue. Um, and then you play against a, a caliber of opponent in UC Davis last week that isn't really a test for you. Um, <laughs> and that's putting it kindly, right? That's not a Pac-12 caliber school. Um you play UC Davis, it's really hard to then turn around, okay, we need you to suddenly find your form and go play the number 10 school in the country. Right. And they didn't do it, and it showed in that final score. They get drilled. Um, the, the good- not to mention... Not to mention that that team had a target on your back because they owed you one. Yes. Or two or three. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, and here's the thing. Everybody owes Oregon one. They killed teams last year and the year before that. They ran roughshod through the Pac-12. Everybody wants to stick it to the Oregon ladies this year. 
Absolutely. No, you're, you're right. That's the other thing that we aren't really talking about. You got an inexperienced team that's getting, you know, for the most part, getting everybody's best shot right now. Yeah. So, um, it, it, you know, those, those ladies, uh, they knew they were going to have a tough road and they're, they're definitely, uh, they're definitely getting that this year. <laughs> I will say this though. Um, and the Oregon men are in a similar situation. I think they're fourth in the pac 12. I know the ladies are fourth in the pac 12. Um, on the women's side, the Pac-12 has a lot more respect nationally, and I, I sure. would not be surprised if five or six schools advance from the Pac-12 into the women's tournament. So even if Oregon takes a lump against Stanford, if we even see that game played, that's up in the air because that might get canceled. Um, let's say Stanford plays them and Stanford beats them. Stanford's one of the best teams in America. Um, and, and they are young and inexperienced and they take a beating in the Pac-12 tournament if we even get one, I think there's still a solid chance they get an invite to the national tournament and then all bets are off because we, we've seen this exact story unfold before. Kelly Graves takes a young, inexperienced team into the postseason and magic happens. Yeah, and, you know, and even just taking a step back from that, that's just invaluable experience. Just get into that dance, you know, see what happens, play as many games as you can, and then, you know, take that and run with it for next year. So right. I think that's the goal for the women. Uh, the men, I just can't get a, I just can't get a pulse on it. See, and I, I think that's the hard part. A, a traditional Dana Altman team, you know, that, that uh, we'll just call it like maybe like that mid to late January, the team starts to emerge, right? It starts to kind of like, you know, do its thing. And that was the period where, you know, they didn't play for two or three weeks or, you know, only had like a game in four weeks. And you can't, you, you can't do that when you're not playing it. You know, you've had players injured. And, and so, yeah, for the, the men, I, I just, for me, I, I can't say that I've watched every single minute of every single game, but I still, you know, with the men, I still kind of like, what do we have? Right. I just don't feel like we know what we have and, and maybe they could get better over the course of the, the rest of February. But, um, you know, that's a team that I think most of us are still trying to kind of like figure out like, so where are they? Are they, you know, are they the middle team? Are they the top team? Are they, you know, what are we going to get? And, and I just, I don't think the sample size has been there to, you know, to kind of really make that, uh, assumption at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like, we can find an answer to that question of where is this team and what are they going to be if they get these games in. Because we've seen yes. they went two weeks before playing Oregon State. They went two weeks off. Then they went two weeks off after playing Oregon State, and they split against the Washington schools. Wazoo clips them, and I know the refs were terrible in that game, but I, I still feel Oregon was the better team on paper and should have won that game. They don't, they don't have an excuse. Uh, then you take care of the Huskies, right now bottom feeders in the Pac-12. Um, going to the desert, tougher coaches, tougher schools, and then the mountain schools, I say this every time, don't sleep on Utah because they always play the Ducks brutal. Um, these next two weeks, these four games, I think can shine a light on whether or not Dana Altman's Ducks can do that thing they do every year. Like you said, you know they always have that upward trajectory in February. We're going to find that out now. Yeah, 
nope, you're, you're right. We're going to find that out. And they're about to get healthy. And, you know, I, I think <clears throat> not only will you be upgrading, you know, uh, with players, you're also you, you're going to have to have some time there where those guys get adjusted with one another. Um, you know, so, yeah, this next two, three, I guess, even four weeks, if you will, will be real interesting for this team. <clears throat> I, as whatever we could talk about right now about this team could be completely inaccurate because the next two weeks they could take off. Right. So uh, I, I think, <clears throat> I think that's the fun part about the men's team is we're, we're going to have a chance to kind of see, you know, where they stack up because I don't know from, from what I've seen, it, it just doesn't seem like there's a, you know, a true unbeatable team out there in the country. So, you know, if they can get somewhere in the top 15 or something by, you know, just by a miracle, uh, they might be able to make some noise. They've got the pieces for it. You never really know. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and, and I've said all season, I love the way this team plays defense. It reminds me of the team that took Virginia into the 12th round. <laughs> just just a, a crazy game with a team that later won the national championship. That Oregon defense was nuts. This Oregon defense what you lack in a, a signature defender like Kenny Wooten was, I think you make up for with the depth that they have. If they get their ideal five on the floor in February, this team can go on a run. Absolutely. Yeah, and then that's the key. Your, your, your first order of business was getting healthy. It looks like they're just about there. Now it's going to be a matter of gelling and and kind of seeing where you're at. And I guess that's what we'll all get to see here in the next two or three weeks, assuming they get to play the bulk of their games. Yeah. Okay. Um, I feel like that's a good point to put a bow on this and wrap it up. Um, did we miss anything? Anything else that you want to share with people? Nope. No, I don't. I don't think so. We, you know, covered most of the bases and, and uh, you know, it's uh it's it's kind of a, a slow time, but there's still some activity, and and we'll uh, you know we'll start rolling back in with some guests and stuff, and and just uh, I guess we'll keep podcasting every week. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Oregon baseball next week, Oregon softball as well. Uh, we'll we'll try to talk about those, get those seasons introduced to you. Also, of course, hoops playing the desert schools this week on the men's side and crossing your fingers hoping you get to play stanford this weekend on the women's side and duck football who's mario cristobal gonna hire we'll talk about all those topics next week right here listen to us enjoy us and share a rating on uh, any of the podcast apps that we're available on thank you for listening go ducks i can do this now.